We are this morning in the last week of a three-week series called Hungry for God. Not just hungry for KFC, not just hungry for Maccas or a sausage sizzle that we're going to have tonight. Uh, yeah, yeah, but last day of the fast, 21 days. Who, who's, who's happy we're here? Day 21. Come on. Who's... I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, babe, when your friend's talking about, oh, I could just keep going. Because when I'm praying and connecting with God, I'm like, oh, we should just keep this going for ages. I don't need, I don't need to eat, drink flat whites or eat meat. And then I come out of the prayer time and that, that glory fades. And I'm like, where's the coffee? When's the meat? That's so, so it's like a mixed emotions going on. But I do love drawing near to God. And thank you for everyone who's, just, who's jumped in and been part of this fast because it creates an atmosphere, not just for you to encounter God, but for us together as God's people to meet with Him. And so this morning I want to unpack uh, a scripture out of Revelation together and it's a, a, a it's one of the letters that Jesus gives to John to send to one of the seven churches. So in the Revelation is a vision that John had. He went to be with Jesus. Uh, he had an, he went to heaven, had an open heaven experience. And Jesus uh, gave him a message for seven current churches that were in that day and age. And now there's a whole lot of ways that you can interpret these seven letters. You can, you can interpret, the, interpret them across uh, generations, across the globe. You can say, they were just for those churches. You can, you can sort of say there was dispensations they're related to, or, or, or you can say that the seven messages are messages for the church right through the, all, of the, all, all sorts of different ways. I'm not going to get into that today. What I do want to do is just get into the principles out of this particular church, the church in Laodicea. Now, disclaimer, I'm not saying that this is a letter to C3 Powerhouse. Okay, I'm not saying that. So what I'm saying is I want us to draw some thoughts out of this that relate to us in this series, Hunger for God. So let's go. It's a little passage I'm going to read through in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. And this is Jesus speaking directly to John. And this is what he says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? That's cool. There's there's angels for churches. That's awesome. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you are either one of them. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus, quite direct. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. And I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Pretty direct letter. 
I was going to say email. I almost said email. Pretty direct, direct letter from Jesus. A letter motivated by love, because that's what he says. Those I love, I discipline. I speak straight to them. Let's talk a little bit about Laodicea. Laodicea is a geographical place. It's a town. It's no longer there anymore in terms of the, the geography is there, but the town's not there. The city's not there. And it's an actual place. It was a prosperous center. It was a wealthy center. It was renowned as a center for banking, as a center for medicine, and a center of textile or fashion. So if you were from Laodicea, you, you, you were renowned as a, a fancy dresser. Come on, you know who you are. You're, you're renowned. This was the place they, were, they had the, a famous city school for medicine. It was renowned for medicine. It was renowned for healing. It was renowned uh, for banking. So this is a, a, a place. It's renowned for being a self-sufficient city. A city that when there was an earthquake at 60 AD that refused help from imperial Rome to send money to rebuild it and said, we're just going to rebuild ourselves. We don't need your patronage or your support. It was self-sufficient. Jesus might use these words, you're neither cold nor hot, you're therefore lukewarm. And it related to the geography of the city. You see, this city was about 10 miles east uh, or, or east of Laodicea was another place called Colossae. And it was renowned for its pure gold drinking water. That's what this Colossae was renowned for, just, just up the road. Then the, the other way, there was a, a city called, uh, I'll try and get this right, Hierapolis. And it was renowned for hot springs. And so the hot springs were places where people would go, and it was renowned for its healing power. When people would get in these salt spas. Come on, who loves a good salt mineral spa? Oh, yeah, baby. It's renowned for its healing power to your body. But Laodicea had no natural supply of water. And so years later, when they dug the towns up, they found these aqueducts. And the aqueducts would bring in cold water from one place and hot water from another place. But by the time it got to the city, it was tepid. It was lukewarm. And so this city understood the language of lukewarm water. I don't know if you've ever left a water bottle in the car on a hot day and you've jumped in your car, I really need some water. You went to have a drink and it's just, it's warm. It's like, that's the water of Laodicea, and that's the language that they understand when Jesus writes and he says, Now, I want you to be hot, or I want you to be cold. I want you to be, okay, to the church as a whole and to individuals, I want you to be refreshing. I want people to be able to take a drink of what, of who you are and the atmosphere you are, and it will refresh them. Or I want them to come around you and into your atmosphere, and there's heat and warmth and there's healing power from you. But right now, you're neither cold and refreshing or hot and healing. You're lukewarm, and I want you to be one or the other. And until you are, you won't be effective for me. He says, I want you to buy gold white clothes and salve to the city renowned for banking. He says that money is your own sufficiency, but there's spiritual gold I want you to buy. He says that fashion and clothing, you might think that you're well-dressed, but before me, you're naked. I want you to buy clothing and I want you, you're renowned for medicine and I want you to buy salve that you can put on your eyes so that you can see. He's writing in a language that they could understand, and I'm not going to go into the gold, white clothes, and salve today, but Jesus is writing and saying, I want you to buy 
true spiritual riches from me. Now we know that you don't buy salvation. We know that salvation's a gift from God. Being made right with God, being forgiven of our sins, it's not something you buy. You don't buy it through church attendance. You don't buy it through charitable giving. You don't buy it through, through the amount of time you spend in prayer, giving or serving God. It's a gift from Him. But Jesus is saying that there's something of spiritual value that will cost you something that you need to buy. That you need to buy. And He gets to this verse, verse 20, which anyone who's been in church for probably more than six weeks has probably heard a reference to this verse. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Now, often we refer to this scripture for people who aren't yet in a relationship with God. And if you're here today and you're not yet connected to God, if you're watching online and you don't yet have a relationship with God, then today could be the most defining moment of your life where you invite the one who loves you, who died for you and wants the best for you, Jesus. You invite him into your life and everything can change if you make that decision today to connect with God. And he does knock. And you may have heard this expression that the door, the handle of the door is not on the outside, it's on the inside. That it can only be opened. We can only invite Jesus into our life from the inside. And so later, if that's you, I want to help you pray a prayer connecting with Jesus that will change everything. But the fascinating thing about this verse, it's not written to people who don't know Jesus. It's written to the church. Doesn't say write to the unbelievers in Laodicea. It says write to the church in Laodicea and tell them that I want them hot or cold, not lukewarm. I don't want them self-sufficient. I want them to be aware of where they're really up to. And ultimately, here's where it boils down to. I'm knocking because church, Christians, believers, Jesus wants fellowship with us. He wants fellowship with us. I'm, I, I want you to hear my voice and I want to come in and share a meal with you together as a friend. I mean, I love that. I love the idea that Jesus wants on a regular basis to have communion, fellowship, meaningful time where we're connecting with Him. He's saying, don't play church. Don't be all self-sufficient in your wealth or your knowledge or your, your skills or your clothing or your, your abilities. Don't be all self-sufficient. But I mean, these guys are still meeting. They're still worshiping. They're a church. They're going through the habits that you would, from the outside, you'd look and say that they're a church. But Jesus doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside and says, guys, you've become self-sufficient. And I want more than your self-sufficiency. I want fellowship with you. I want to eat with you. I want to hang out with you. And so today I want to talk about one of, I guess, the, for me, the, what this leads to, Jesus' desire for every person who's a follower of Him. He, every person is this fellowship. He's knocking today. And often we drown out His knocking with busyness and life and craziness. I've heard someone say, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And the point of him making you busy is to disconnect us from our Savior. 
And today I want to talk about discovering your secret place. Hunger for God, your secret place. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says these words. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I love how the message says this verse particularly. It says this, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. I love that. Oh, look at me. I'm holy. I'm anointed. Look at me, Instagram. I'm in my secret place. Well, it's not secret anymore, is it? Find where you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. What a great definition of the secret place. The secret place, God says, I want you to find somewhere that's quiet and secluded. And I want you to go in there and not be worried about portraying an image to anybody about your spirituality. And I want you to shift your focus off you to God. And as you shift your focus, you'll begin to sense His grace. I love this. I love this. A secret place. So I want to talk to you about finding your secret place. What is, what is your secret place with God look like? Now, there's, there's a, obviously, when I say that, most of us think, well, that's, a, that's just a personal spot. And it is a personal spot. But before we talk about your personal place and time and connection with God, David refers to the secret place in Psalm 27. And he doesn't, he doesn't refer to it as an individual place, he, he says something else. One thing I've desired of the Lord, Psalm 27 verse 5, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion and in where? The secret place of His tabernacle. He's talking about the, the corporate place of worship. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he'll hide me and he'll set me high upon a rock. I like the idea that, that, that you and I will have multiple places of meeting with God, multiple secret places. But one of them is when you come into the house of God and gather together and we close our eyes and we worship and we, you know, we, I talked in the first week of this series about the sacrifice of praise and about shaking off heaviness and, and lifting our hands and clapping our hands and kneeling or physically doing things to say, God, I'm coming to worship you. And when I do that, this becomes a place where God hides me. I love the thought that as we come into Powerhouse Conference this week and Thursday night from the get-go, just if you haven't registered yet, just come to Thursday night and watch what happens in the atmosphere and then just, just begin to come and, and get ready and be hungry. But it'll be a place where there'll be hundreds and hundreds of people, but it will also be a habitation, a secret place where you can just tune out to everybody and connect with God. It's way easier to connect with God when there's, a, where there's hundreds of people with that same focus. It's a beautiful thing. That's, a, that, that's one kind of secret place. But what's your personal secret place look like? When I was 13, I began this journey. I, I was in a church service like this. And someone preached a message about the importance of setting aside time with God on a daily basis uh, to create a discipline that would become a devotion. 
A discipline is something you do because you know the benefits and you make a choice to do it, not just because you feel, you feel like doing it. It's a discipline. And then you feel the benefits of doing what you disciplined to do, and the benefits become devotion to God. The benefit becomes connection. The benefit becomes intimacy, okay? But it starts, sometimes it's, it's a discipline and it's dry. And at the end of time with God, you can just go, well, today I put a stake in the ground that I'm de- determined and disciplined to seek God. I didn't feel much, but I put a stake in the ground for that, okay? Sometimes that's, that's what happens. And so at the age of, of that, in, as a teenager, I began to put 10 minutes aside to pray and 10 minutes aside to read the Bible and begin a habit that's, and I would just say this, Seeking God personally is a lifetime journey for every person. It's a journey of discovery. It's a journey that will change. It's a journey that's very individual, that what will work for you in terms of your connection with God. But it's a powerful pursuit to be on, to be someone who says, Jesus, I'm opening the door. I'm opening the door. So two things that I think are really important about your secret place, where you meet with Jesus. Two things, I think, is the where and the when. The where and the when. Because I think there's something quite powerful about establishing a, a, a habit and a place or places that you meet with God. Now, I can get up here and tell you this is what I do and therefore you need to do that. But that's not actually true. Because I've changed throughout the years the way I personally meet with God. And as I've, as I've trialed and erred and, and, and even went through the little phase where it was like, oh, I don't need to have a set time where I meet with God. I'll just talk to Him all day. And then after about a few weeks, that just didn't work. I realized I'll just get too distracted and I'm too busy. So I'm better to have a set time that flows into the rest of the day or at night or whatever and try different things. And so, so I, want, I want to ask you, and it's a good conversation to have with friends, where's your secret place? Now, don't go, well, it's secret, I can't tell you. <laughs> no, where, where's the place where you withdraw and it's just you and it's God? Where's the place? And everyone will be different. Some people, you're an outdoors person. You love to get out, go out. I know Pastor Phil uh, has made a determination to get up before the sunrise and, and if he's near a beach, walk, to, walk a beach or if he's in a city, he walks the streets and he finds the discipline of getting outside and going a place. It helps him connect with God. I know that uh, David McCracken, who we're going to come, he's going to come and share. I guarantee that he's going to talk about being out in the back paddock with the kangaroos listening to Father because he's on a property uh, not far from where our church is in Melbourne, actually, and he's on property with kangaroos and trees, and, and so he's got a place where he just goes and he walks and he talks with God. That's outdoors. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, uh, had a special place. It was called the Conventicle, and he would retreat there for prayer and contemplation. It was a secluded spot in nature, usually a hill or a quiet grove where he would withdraw and commune with God and seek spiritual renewal. For, for some people, that outdoors, beach, forest, backyard, garden, what, that, that place uh, on the water where you open your eyes and you, you sort of, you, you see the glory of God. David said it like this, Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. And so for you, your secret place is outside and that works for you. 
Now, it, works, it doesn't work for me as a general rule. Every now and then I'll go to the beach on a Friday, uh, my day off secluded, put my earphones in and just sit and, and just enjoy. It's like there's, there's something different about it. It's refreshing, different to my normal. But the reality is if I walk and try and pray, I just get so distracted. I'm like, yes, Lord. Oh, look at that over there. Yes, Lord. Oh, yeah, look at those guys. Oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so distracted. That's just me. So I've, I've had to go on a journey to discover what works for me. When do I feel? Here, this is the challenge that I want to leave you this week. To be a student of your connection with God. And where's the place or the places that you most easily connect with the presence of God? So for me, I'm not a, I, I, walking doesn't work. In fact, for me, it's not an outdoors place. It's an indoors place most of the time. Most of the time, the smaller the room, the better. The darker the room, the better. The less I can see, the better. The, the, I even try, I, I'm, in this, I'm in this great little room at the moment that's, my, that's a study, and I go in there, and I lock the door, and no one can budge in, and I put my music on. I've got a chair, and I can kneel, and I can stand, and I can, I can connect with God. And, and, it's, and if it's dark, I'm undistracted, and it's, I know for me that's my best place. So we go away, if we go away and minister somewhere, usually you'll find Danielle praying. Uh, she loves to sit on her bed and pray. I, if I sit on the bed, I tend to just fall asleep. Uh, I, 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 this, it's, and so it's, it's a room. Now, I'll be, I'll, I'll, the amount of showers I've prayed in, as in, as in not having a shower, just it's the, the place in the ensuite to close the door, it's dark and to pray, that works for me. What works for you? Where works? Where's your place? Because I think it's important. And then what happens is when you have a place, that you go into your place, your secret place. I love it when he says, Father says, go into that place, close the door, and I'll meet with you. And then I'll re- what you do in secret, I'll reward you in public. Your, your public life will be an overflow of your secret place with God. And what, what happens, once you get a place, it becomes, this is where I meet. I love it. Uh, uh, how many of you have seen the movie The War Room? Highly recommend, if you want a fresh motivation for your secret place, the, the war room, it's about a lady going through so many trials, but she gets into a walk-in robe and writes some things up on the wall that she's praying for and kneels there, and her closet becomes her war room. I love that. Where's your war room? Your secret place. Maybe it is your bedroom. I've, I've had that for years when I've lived with other people. My bedroom's the only place I can pray undisturbed. Maybe it is sitting on your bed. I, know, I read about uh, Charles Spurgeon. He would have a, a room in his house called the vault. And it's where he would spend hours in prayer and waiting on God, a famous preacher seeking spiritual renewal. And it was his designated place to go. Ian Bounds, who's one of my favorite authors about prayer, writes about a, a preacher called Payson. And Edward Payson's the secret of his ministry was prayer in secret. And he would, the, the, his bedroom floor testified to this fact. If you went into his bedroom beside his bed were deep grooves in the hardwood floor that had been worn out from where he'd prayed daily. Man, he would have had calluses on his knees, that guy, tough. You're like, whoa, he prayed, he knelt. And you can read that, oh, he knelt and he prayed beside his bed. That must be what you do. Well, I've knelt and prayed on my bed and fallen asleep. Some of you love to lie down, prostrate before God. You're like, you're waiting on oh God. Not me. I fall asleep if I'm lying down. I've got I've to keep myself engaged and moving. So it's not just the place. Where's your place? But then where's your posture? 
Because there is a posture for connecting with God. There's a, there's a posture for just relaxing and waiting on God and sitting or waiting. I love, and I talked a few weeks ago about a new journey of prayer that I'm on, the, the, the Mary kind of prayer where you're sitting and waiting and enjoying God. You're not praying for anything. You're just enjoying His presence. You're waiting and you're worshiping. And I, I, this year, is, that's just been a great joy for me to go into that zone and, and develop that zone and wait on God. But what's the posture? What do you look like? Sometimes I, I love to go in my car. My car's a good place to pray, particularly if I want to get loud. So, so I'm a little conscious when I'm, I'm driving at the traffic lights and people are beside me to just tone it down and look like I'm having a conversation on my car-free zone. Apart from that, I'm grabbing the steering wheel and I'm striking it like the king with the arrows. Like, let's go. just, God, we want to see breakthrough. Sometimes it's not driving anywhere. It's just, I, I'm going to go for a prayer drive. What is that? That's just, that's another. So you don't just need one secret place. You, you, it's, it's multiple places where you meet with God. I, I, I want to ask you today. I, I want you to think about this. Where's your secret place? Where's your secret place? Where do you go to meet with Jesus? So there's the where, then there's the when. When do you meet with Jesus? Today's good, together in the corporate secret place. But when do you meet with him? Jesus talked about, give us today our daily bread. Okay, so this gives a little indication. He's praying, he says, pray like this. And one of the things he says when you pray, pray for today. So it gives you the indication, Jesus' expectation is you'll be praying daily. Because you're not asking for today's bread if you're not praying today, right? And the bread's both physical, but also words from God that feed you. So speak to me today, Lord. So daily is the goal. Now, this is not a guilt trip to go, oh, I missed a couple of days or I haven't been praying. This is just Jesus is knocking on the door saying, if you hear my voice, I want to come and have fellowship with you. I want to enjoy time with you. And therefore, there's a price. The price, there's a price for his presence. Come and buy gold. Come and buy new clothing. Come and buy self so your eyes will be open. There's a price for his presence. Now, this is again, so you might be a nighttime person. God bless you, all the nighttime, quiet time people. You, you set some time aside every night to meet with God. That's awesome. You might be a, a daytime person. You, you, maybe you're a Daniel person three times a day. Set aside time to meet with God. He was renowned for it and had success because of it. But it's not just your where, it's your when. And it needs to, and there will be a price to set time aside with God. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, talks about Jesus. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus' secret place, often he talked about, withdrew. He often withdrew to the wilderness. So he went outdoors, alone. And it tells us here, at least in this instance, he did it very early in the morning. David said, you're my God, Psalm 63, verse 1. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So where's your, where's your 
secret place and when? When, do, when on your calendar, if, I don't know how many of you have got little Outlook calendars or some kind of organization and you have appointments with important people and important things that are important in your life, when's your calendar appointment with Jesus every day? Is it, is it there? Now, it doesn't have to be on your calendar, but it kind of does. Because I find if it's not, I, I, this is my experience. I've found if I don't do it in the morning, I get caught up in the day, and, the day, and then I've got all these intentions and I've got this thing hanging over my head that I've thought, Lord, I, I know I want to meet with you. I know I want to meet with you. It's like that phone call you're putting off. And then I can miss a day. So for me, I've learned that the price of fellowship with Jesus is going to bed a bit earlier and getting up a bit earlier. Sometimes the price of fellowship with Jesus is living a bit tired just a bit tired. I've, I've made a decision. I'd rather live a bit tired in fellowship with Jesus than not. And eventually that tiredness will make me go to bed early. And a little bit crabby, but we won't talk about that. Try and avoid that. Time with Jesus will help me be less crabby. Pastor Phil was telling me years ago, he heard a message about could you not pray just for one hour, the, the message to the disciples? And he was challenged. He said, the surfers get up every morning before dark to go and catch waves. Isn't God deserving of more of my time and focus? And he kind of made a lifetime commitment to get up when the surfers get up to meet with God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Church, believers, I want fellowship with you, says the Lord. So I just want, I'm not wanting to guilt anybody today except to encourage you. If you're on the journey and you've got your secret place, just dig deeper with God. If you haven't found your where, make it a place to go, where do I go that I really connect with God? And then when do I meet with Jesus? Every day. When do I meet with him? What's it look like? It'll be the secret of power. It'll be, it'll be a secret of love and joy and peace that bubbles up into your life. It'll be worth the price. In your dry seasons, when you're doing it just by discipline, when, when it's a dry season, the roots normally are forced to go down deeper to find water. So if you're in a dry season trying to find God, trying to experience His presence, don't give up. Just let your roots go down deeper. God's doing something in your life and your heart. Can we close our eyes together right now? Lord, we hear you knock on our hearts. And I pray you'd speak to every person in this room. to set our face like a flint to seek you.
to enjoy meals with you when you come in. When we close the door, it's just us and you. Help us find that chair. Help us find that place. Help us find the posture of engagement, of waiting. Sometimes we've been in a posture of waiting and it's kind of like a receiving and then God wants to stir us up to be a little more front-footed. Other times we've been front-footed and we're standing and leaning in and God wants us to sit down and receive more. Other times he wants us to kneel and humble ourselves more. Other times it's to raise our hands. But we worship him body, soul, and spirit. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Draw us in, draw us in, draw us in, draw us in, draw us in. If you're here this morning, you're watching online and you're saying, I, I sense the knock of Jesus drawing me into a secret place more than I've been. So maybe you haven't been or it's been spasmodic or maybe you have been, but you know, you, you sense God calling you to go deeper. We're talking about creating a hunger for God. So if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and say, God's talking to me about going deeper in my, in my secret place, in my quiet time. Just put your hand up I'm, I'm, just before God. He's drawing me into a, maybe it's a consistency that he's drawing you into a consistency to meet with him. Magnificent. So many hands. Help us, Lord. Amen.